What's the reason for church? Does a church have a mission? And if so, what is it? In this message, listen as Pastor Chris Chadwick preaches from the Bible on the mission of the church, pursuing the lost. First Timothy chapter 2, verse number 1, the Apostle Paul writes, Timothy... It's a book to a pastor. Paul is obviously the, the apostle, mentor, mentor pastor, if you will. And he's writing to Timothy, who is a younger pastor. Timothy's about 40 years old. He is pastoring the church at Ephesus. And Paul is writing him, and he says in verse number one, I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercession, and giving of thanks be made for all men. For kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Who will have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. I want you to notice verse number one in our text this morning. Now, this is a topical message. We're going to look at quite a few scripture here, but I, we're going to launch out from here. The, I want you to notice Paul's exhortation to Timothy that supplications, prayers, and intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. Now, if you were to say to me, Chris, what is um, the most difficult spiritual discipline that you face? I would tell you without any hesitation at all, it's prayer. There's nothing harder for me to do insofar as spiritual disciplines than to pray. Uh, It's not difficult for me to read and meditate on the scripture. It's easier for me to to spend aggregate amount of time reading or memorizing the scripture. I have no problem with the spiritual discipline of of, uh, witnessing and sharing the gospel. Tithing and giving is easy for me. Church attendance, it's not only not a discipline, I just love being here around God's people. I, I really do. I, I, I mean, like, like, I wonder, like, people, you don't want to come to church? Like, really? That's like, that's like not wanting to eat good food. I mean, whatever. But I, I just love it. Those things aren't difficult. But the one thing that I just have to hear the word and conviction comes to my soul is the subject of prayer. Now, you may be like me and find praying to be very difficult. I'm a type A, kind of, some people would say I'm driven. I don't know if that's true or not, but I would probably think that I am a little bit more driven than some. And, and I, I find prayer at times to be very, very humbling. And, and if I could be honest with you, at times I even find it frustrating well, why do you find it frustrating? Because I want action to happen. I want, I want to be doing something. I want to get something done. And prayer is absolute humility of saying, God, while I sit here on my knees and ask you to do something, I have to humbly accept the reality that I can be totally divorced of a situation and you are absolutely in control of whatever the situation may be. Prayer is accurately defined as a direct conversation and communion with God, whether it's vocal or silent, planned or spontaneous, individual or corporate or congregational. Prayer, according to Scripture, is not a form of magic. 
It's not some manipulation or appeasement of spiritual forces to, to bring about a desire, desired result. Prayer is not a, a specific set of words that require God to do something. By the way, there's a lot being said online in podcasts. If you pray this prayer, this God has to do this. I heard somebody say one time that this prayer binds the hand of God and he has to do what you pray. Make no mistake that that is an outgrowth of a hellish doctrine. There is nothing that you and I will ever do to force the hand of God nothing that you can do. Well, you pray this prayer, your God has to do this. No, here's what God has to do. God has to forgive everyone that asks forgiveness. That's what God has to do because he said he would forgive everyone that asks forgiveness. But you praying some special prayer by some dude in a million dollar, uh, driving a million dollar car in a $50,000 suit that says, you pray this prayer, God has to make you wealthy is a lie from the father from 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 satan i'll eventually get it out prayer is not a mental contemplation though meditation on scriptural truth and focusing on that is is accurate but prayer is not just mental contemplation prayer in scripture is never addressed to angels or to humans or to what is even some people would say i pray to the saints Absolutely not. We pray to the Lord Jesus Christ himself. He is the mediator that stands between God and man. Hebrews chapter 4 verses 14 and 15. Prayer, prayer according to the Bible is a conversation that's directed to God and it can take on many forms just like our conversation. It can take on a, a, a conversation of desire or appeal or uh, sorrow or apology and these should be normal normative in our life, a prayer of repentance, a prayer of love and admiration or gratitude and appreciation or, or even dissatisfaction and frustration. We can, we can pray that prayer, a prayer of hopes and joys, of fears and doubts, of questions and curiosities. All these forms of communication can be broadly grouped under three basic headings, one of worship or esteem, one of fellowship or communion, and one of entreaty or of request. It means the same thing. This morning, I want to look at the subject of, or the major heading of prayer of entreaty for the lost, or what is commonly called, and is called this in our text, prayer of intercession. Intercession means this, praying on behalf of others. It's an act of intervening or mediating between different parties, particularly the act of praying to God on the behalf of, a, of another person. It's a, it's a mediator. That's what prayer is. It's kind of like this. If you have a friend, John Doe, and he's mad at his friend, Sam Smith, but they're both good with you, you as a biblical principle, need to be a peacemaker, according to the book of Matthew chapter five, blessed are the peacemakers. And so you intervene 
or or you mediate a resolution between John Doe and Sam Smith that bring together their friendship again by way of, of being an intercessor for them. You're helping them to see the problem from one another's perspective. You're not, listen to me, you're not trying to cause greater division. You're not trying to foster drama. You're not a parent that tries to uh, pit one child against another so they'll love you more. You're not a child that tries to pit parent against parent so you'll get your own way. No, you're, you're a peacemaker. You're, you're uh, an intercessor. You're mediating between two different groups. And when we pray a prayer of intercession, we are praying on behalf of, one, of a person to God the Father. And this morning we're going to talk about evangelistic praying. If someone has a need, whatever that need may be, when you pray for them, you are interceding for them. You're going to God on their behalf. You're doing what some old preachers used to call standing in the gap for them. Maybe they can't even pray for themselves at a time. Maybe they're physically incapable by, by way of being comatose or in horribly sick or or asleep, if you will, and you are interceding for them to God the Father. So when you pray for someone's health, their child, their career, their discouragement, their relationships, their spiritual struggles, whatever it may be, you are interceding for them. As a matter of fact, it's a requirement of Scripture, Ephesians chapter 6, verse number 18. The Bible says, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance for all saints. I'm praying a prayer uh, and supplication in the Spirit for all saints. I- I'm doing it for everyone involved. Supplication is very similar to intercession. The, the difference is that supplication may be for the individual, or it can be for uh, someone else. Intercession Intercession is always for others. The majority of our prayers should be that of intercession. Our text this morning lays out some really fantastic and beautiful theology. I exhort thee, first of all, that prayer intercession or supplication, prayer intercession, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, for all that are in authority. Let me just stop and tell you this. God expects you to pray for your political leaders. Whether you like their party or don't. Whether you like their position or don't. Well, what are we praying for? We're praying for their salvation. We're praying that they would make decisions based on the wisdom of Scripture. We're praying that they would lead according to the righteousness of the Word. Well, why are we praying all that? Look at verse number 2, the end part of verse number 2. That we may lead a quiet and peaceable life. God wants the citizenry to be able to be at peace and quiet. And if you go on in verse number three, it says, for this is, a, uh, or verse number two, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in godliness 
and in all honesty, that, that we could live a life that is godly, we could live in honesty or dignity, that we would not have to degrade ourselves because of the, the political framework that is, that is being led by leaders. And by the way, I, I would just say, we might want to pray for that for our city. We see thousands of homeless folks that are there because of decisions that political leaders have made that in essence are exacerbating a problem that causes people to live without dignity. And it's resolvable if political leaders would simply follow God's word and God's plan. And so we have a responsibility not to huddle in the quietness of a corner and say nothing. No, we boldly, hey, I'm praying for our mayor and our city council and our county representatives to make some kind of biblically wise decision to help those who are most unfortunate to be able to pull themselves up and live in dignity as opposed to uh, refuse and squalor. It's a biblical command. And then the Bible goes on to say, who will have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. The word will there means God's desire. Um, Let me say it this way. God desires all men to be saved. Everyone. You say, I don't know if God wants me to be saved. No, the Bible says in Luke 19.10, the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which is lost. The, what has been called the the anthem of the Bible, John 3.16, God so loved the world, meaning you, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse number 9, the Bible says, the Lord is not slack concerning his promises, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God wants you to be saved. God wants you to know him and God wants everyone to know him as their personal Lord and Savior. The word Lord means master or owner. So you can't come to Christ. Here's the deal. Listen to me clearly. You cannot come to Christ thinking that you'll come your own way, do your own thing, and do it in your own timetable, and you'll stay in control. Literally coming to Jesus means I'm coming to you, and I'm giving up authority and control of my life so that I can have a relationship with you. Jesus said to the Pharisees, you call me master and Lord, ye say, well, for so I am. He is the master. He is the owner. Your life only gets jacked up when you try to take control of what only Jesus can control. When you say, I don't like his rules, I want my own rules. I don't like his way, I want my own way. Oh, this isn't big disobedience, this is little uh, disobedience. I, I, I can handle it my own way. No, no, he wants to be master, owner, Lord. That's the idea. When you come to Christ, he's master, owner, and Lord. Well... But, but, but that doesn't seem logical to me. The Bible is not a book that was written so that it would seem logical to you or to me. The Bible is a book about God and it's about God's character and God's desire. And listen to me, it's also about God's demands. 
and he's Lord. He's also Savior, the one who saves from danger and destruction of eternal judgment in hell. God loves you so much that he says this, I'll save you from an eternity in hell, an eternity separated from me. If you will simply put your faith and trust in me, I will save you from that and faith and trust enough to make me master and Lord. And I promise, this is what Jesus says, I promise to give you eternal life. It's a guarantee by the Savior. It's a guarantee. He will save your soul. God has provided a way of salvation, and humanity is in desperate need of salvation. The need of the world is not another political party. The need of the world is not... Cheaper gas. The need of the world is not, as much as I hate to say this, that all social media would end, though it's real close to that, real close. The need of the world is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The world needs Jesus because Jesus changes everything. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, we want to encourage you today to realize that you are a sinner. Have sorrow over the fact that you've sinned against God. That's called repentance. And sorrow should lead to action of putting faith and trust in Christ alone. And our prayer is today that you would put your faith and trust in only Jesus Christ because Jesus changes everything. Jesus not only changes your eternity, he will change your life, he will change your marriage, he will change your, your, your children, he'll change your home, he'll change the job that you have. Jesus changes everything, everything. We saw last week at Canyon Ridge that we are, have a personal responsibility to tell people about Jesus. If you know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, according to the Bible, you have a personal responsibility to tell people about Jesus. Is that it? We good? Tell them about Jesus. Tell them about Jesus. Is that it? Or is there more? Well, we know this according to the Scripture. No one will be, the Bible term is saved, no one will be saved without God drawing them. John chapter 6, verse number 44, the Bible says this, no man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him, and I will raise him up in the last day. No man will come to me except the Father which sent me draw him. No one can be saved unless God draws him. We have a statement around here that we like to say, no conviction, no conversion. Here's what that means. Some of you are here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. You're not sure that if you died, you would go to heaven. You're not sure of your eternal destiny. You're, you're just not sure. There's an uneasiness in your soul about that. Matter of fact, some of you are very sure that if you died today, you would not go to heaven. You're very sure about that. 
But you keep coming back because there's something that is drawing you. And I've had people say this to me. I don't know what keeps pulling me, but I I feel like I just need to do this. Yeah, that's called the Holy Spirit of God. God is drawing you to himself. God is bringing you to himself. We could tell you all day long and give you information about the gospel of Jesus Christ. But if God doesn't draw you, you will not be saved. If God is drawing you to day at Canyon Ridge, come to Jesus Christ as Savior today. Today. Don't wait for next month. The road to hell is paved with good intentions. Millions upon millions upon millions upon millions of people have died without Christ, and this is what they've said. I'm going to get saved. I'm just not going to do it this week. I'm not going to do it today. I'm going to do it when I get home. I'm going to do it when I get my next promotion. I'm going to, I'm going to do it when I get settled in my career. I'm going to do it. And, and they come up with anything. I'm going to do it when we move into the new house. I'm going to do it when I finally buy the new car. I'm going to do it when I get out of college. I'm going to do it when I pay off my college debt. I'm going to, going to, going to, going to, going to never get it done. Come to Jesus today. So we have a responsibility to tell people, but we know that no man comes to the Father except the Father draws him. So what is then our responsibility? We have a responsibility to tell. That's information, even motivation. But we also have a responsibility for what I've titled this message, pursuing the lost through evangelistic praying. Evangelistic praying. Let me illustrate it this way. When I travel, uh, I preach out. Sometimes I, I go to other churches and preach or whatever, and, and uh, I have the privilege of doing that. It's always humbling. About four times, a, four Sundays a year, I'll preach at another church, uh, and about uh, a few other times during the week, I'll do that. And when I'm at another church preaching, or when I'm at another church on vacation, normally much more on vacation than any other time, I'm always looking around to see if there are things at that church that might make Canyon Ridge a better place. And, and I look for positive examples, and sometimes I find them, and sometimes I find negative examples of like, oh, we don't want to do that, uh, or whatever, and so uh, you you just find positive and negatives, and you're always looking. Well, I was in a church, let's say within the last 10 years, and uh, it was on a Wednesday night prayer meeting night, which was awesome, and and at the end of the service, which which was fine, the service was good, pastor did a good job teaching, and at the end of the service, they had a prayer meeting. Um, and it's kind of one of those old school, if you grew up in the South, you'd have been very used to this, where they like take prayer requests from the floor and they give out a prayer list. I mean, some of you are like, oh yeah, I remember those. Remember how they could drag on forever and every child hated that and every mother just wanted to put their kids to bed and I'll be quiet, I'm, I'm telling on my dad. Um, my dad's a pastor, and, and uh, it was like that. And, and they handed out a prayer list. I'll never forget, they handed out a prayer list. And I looked through the prayer list, and they had really cool things on there and good things to pray for. Like, they had their missionaries that were listed. And they had, like, some building projects listed and, and some budget needs that were, were listed. Every church has budget needs. And, and, and they had some budget needs that were listed and pray for that and, and pray for some special needs that were going on in church families and, and people's serving in the military. There was a, a section for that. And, and they had a prayer for the church staff and they had a prayer for sickness. And then they had a prayer for those in need of salvation. And, and I love praying for every one of those areas. It's awesome. 
And I just looked through it, and, and I, I, I don't know why I do this, but I always t- turn to the back and I read towards the front. I don't know why I do it that way. It's just the way I've always done it. And so I'm looking at the back, and I get, and the, the, I got to the sickness category. And I mean to tell you, they listed everything on there. They listed stuff on there that was embarrassing. I'm like, no one should ever put that, like there's HIPAA laws that should not be on there. Why is that there? And Debbie's sitting next to me. She knew the church better than me. I elbowed her like, is this part of the creepy culture? I mean, what is this? And they had everything. Pray for Maybell. She's got a hangnail. And, and, you know, it really caused her some pain as she was drinking, you know, 42 ounces of Mountain Dew last night. Uh, Mountain Dew slipped out of her hand because the hangnail, you know. And so everybody's like on their knees petitioning the Lord to heal the hangnail. And I'm just like, okay, whatever. If you have a hangnail, I'm probably going to pray a prayer for you. You might not want it. But our teenagers can take care of that hangnail for you. We'll teach them how. And so I'm teasing, obviously. But I mean, there was just a lot of stuff on there. And I'm like, oh, that's cool, whatever, no big deal. You can do whatever you want. And then I turned it over the page. I turned the page and I saw the salvation request. And I'm thinking with the number of sick people that are on here, there's going to be a ton of salvation request. And as near as I can remember, there was either four or six people. And most of them, you could tell, had been on there for a very, very long time. Now, make no mistake, I love praying for the sick. The Bible actually commands us to pray for the sick, tells us in James chapter 5, verse number 15, the prayer of faith shall save the sick. I want to, if you're sick, if you have a a sickness, we want to pray for you. I have the joy of doing that and seeing God do a work in people's life. No problem at all in praying for the sick. Again, we encourage that. We want to do that. But when was the last time you prayed for somebody who didn't know Jesus? When was the last time that you just prayed for the people of our nation to be saved? When was the last time that you prayed for your unreached family or friends or neighbors? When was the last time you prayed evangelistically? Not when was the last time you gave somebody a track to church. And by the way, we want to encourage you to do that every week. We have flyers in the back. It says share Jesus this week. We want to encourage you to give people information about Jesus every single week. How shall they hear without a preacher? Remember that from last week? We, we are required to do that biblically. We have the joy of doing that. But when, when was the last time you prayed that someone would come to Christ? You see... There's this hellish doctrine that comes from the throne room of hell, and I mean that. It's called universalism. Universalism ostensibly teaches this, that everyone who is born will live and die and go to heaven. There's, there's, a, there's also a the, theology called annihilationism, that everyone that is born will live and die. And if they don't know Christ, they're just like a dog or, or a pet. They cease to exist. And only those people who accept Jesus will go to heaven. 
I'm going to submit to you that the average Christian at Canyon Ridge Baptist Church would systematically or based on our knowledge of scripture, systematic is what that means, systematically would deny and refute and reject both universalism and annihilationism. We would reject those. Why? Because it is appointed to man once to die and then the judgment. And we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account of the things done in our body. And, 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 and those who don't know Christ will stand before him and see if their name is written in the Lamb's book of life. And if it is not, the Bible says in the Revelation, I will say unto thee, depart, for I never knew you. When Jesus said in the book of Matthew, it's repeated in concept in the Revelation. If you're here today and you don't know Christ as your Savior, if you reject Christ as your Savior, you don't just cease to exist. You die and you will spend eternity in hell separated from God. And there are no second chances. There are no life mulligans. You don't get to do it again. And by the way, you don't have to know everything about the Bible either. Some people say, well, I want to come to Christ. I just have to learn a lot more. No, no, no. You have to come to Christ. The Bible says in childlike faith. What does childlike faith mean? You don't have to know hardly anything. You have to know that Jesus is good. You're bad. Jesus will save you. Accept him and him alone as your savior. It's all that is necessary. You have to know this, that you were the enemy, you're the enemy of God, but God loves you so much that even when you're his enemy, Romans chapter five, verse number eight, God commended his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That even when you rejected Christ, God sent Jesus from heaven to earth to live and die and suffer for your sin, even when you hated him and, and he loves you this much that he would, he would allow his son to pay the price for your sin. Come to him as sin. Savior today. But we would reject universalism and we would reject annihilationism. We'd reject both of those hellish doctrines. Look at me though. Practically though, that's where most of us live. Practically, that's how we live our Christian life. Yeah, I know people live and die and go to hell, but I don't really want to tell them and we really don't even pray for them. But God has called us to prayer. I want you to notice three realities about praying for the lost. It'd be the briefest three points in the history of Canyon Ridge, I think. Matthew chapter 9, you can turn there, but it'll be on the screen as well. Verses 36 to 38. We see the prayer of Jesus for laborers. When he saw the multitude, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Go to the next verse. Then saith he unto his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray you therefore the Lord of the harvest that he'll send forth laborers into his harvest. The prayer of Jesus for laborers. Jesus, I, I might preach on this this, this next week. Uh, Jesus is, is, is about to send his disciples throughout all Israel. He's literally standing up on a hill overlooking Capernaum 
outside of Capernaum. And he's seeing what's called Galilee of the Gentiles. It's the most populated in Jesus' day, the most populated region in all of Israel. And people were just hustling and running. They said there's about two and a half million people in that region, a, a villages that comprised about 5,000 people roughly. And... Uh, um, made up of villages that comprise about 5,000 or made up of 5,000 people. And Jesus is seeing them and they're running and they're hustling and they're just going everywhere doing their thing. And Jesus stops and he says, bring verse 37 up. And Jesus stops and he says this as we see it in our text. He saith unto the disciples, the harvest is plenty as laborers are few. What does he mean? There's not enough people that have the truth telling people who don't have the truth about the truth. There's a really big harvest, but not enough labors. A huge harvest, not enough labors. Pray you, therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that what? He'll send forth labors into his harvest. Well, how should I pray for loss? Number one, pray the prayer of Jesus that more people will go, that know the truth will go and tell people who don't know the truth about the truth. Let me say it this way, that people who know about Jesus will tell people who don't know about Jesus that they can be saved. Okay, let's say it this way, that saved people will tell lost people how they can be saved. Oh, maybe we'll say it this way, that found people will find people. That people who know him will tell those who don't know him about him so they can know him. And Jesus says, Pray that God will send forth more of those people into his harvest. That, that's the prayer of Christ for laborers. That's the prayer Jesus is praying. So when you pray, and you pray for lost folks, pray that God will send more people in San Diego to reach San Diegans with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, pastor, that's your job. No, 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 that's our job. That's ours. It, it is absolutely my job, my responsibility. By the way, it's my blessing. It's my joy. You say, well, aren't you a little scared at times? Absolutely. Yes. Uh, and some of you like things like bungee jumping and skydiving and all of that. You're like, I'm an adrenaline junkie. You want real adrenaline? Witness to somebody. You say, oh, that didn't do it for me. Come with me. I'll take you to people who will cause that adrenaline uh, gland to go through the roof. If that doesn't work, we've got places you could go. Pray for more labors. When was the last time you prayed that God would send more people to tell people about Jesus? As we talk about mission work, here's what people think. Like, oh, I'm praying that God will send more missionaries all over the world. Don't stop praying that prayer. That's wonderful. 
Well, I'm praying that God will send more people to, uh, to California to plant churches. Great. Do not stop praying in that prayer. Most unchurched state in America. We have 50 million people, if you count the immigrant population in California, 50 million people roughly that live in our state. And there's more churches in Dallas, Fort Worth, Texas than in the entire state of California. By the way, if you move from California and you go to some other state because you say, well, they, I just like the culture there better because they're more Christian. Please don't come and tell me because I'll call you a coward. Because God has called us to be missionaries in a dark world, not inhabitants of a light world. And the thing that California needs more than anything is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's no wonder we have the positions that we have when there's hardly any saved people here. They're like, well, I like the state of Alabama. Everybody there's a Christian. Well, they're not. You just don't know it yet. You just think Republican and Christian are the same thing. And they're vastly different. Amen. By the way, thanks for saying amen. Amen. That's for those online that want to critique the message later. I did mean what I said. And if you're from Alabama, I don't have any problem with Alabama or Louisiana or any other state that ends in uh. <laughs> California, Texas, uh, I don't have a problem. I don't have a problem with that. I'm just simply saying that we need to pray for laborers in California and in America and all over the world. But you need to pray for laborers at your job. You need to pray for laborers at your gym and in your neighborhood that people would, would share the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. Would to God that we would have hour-long prayer meetings praying for the lost. We see the prayer of Jesus for laborers. If you have your Bible, or you can look on the screen, Romans chapter 10, verse number one, the apostle Paul is writing, obviously. We've been studying Romans, but he says, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. We see the prayer of Paul for the salvation of his countrymen. The prayer of Paul for the salvation of his countrymen. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. If you were to look over in chapter nine, verse number three, Paul says it this way, for I could wish myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Here's what Paul is saying in chapter nine, verse number three. Paul says this, I, uh, I'll give you the Chadwick Street version. I wish that I could, um, or let me rephrase it. I would die and go to hell if it meant that the descendants of Abraham would all go to heaven. Now, I don't know about you, but bro, that is a powerful statement. You're willing? And Paul didn't put that in there accidentally. And, and listen, he's not being hyperbolic or he's not using exaggeration as a tool here to teach. It's a sincere desire of his heart. I would literally go to hell if it meant that the people of Israel would be saved. I'm gonna let you know insight. I'm not there yet. Honestly, I'm not there. We're not even commanded to be there, but it is a very, very clear example for all of us as to what God, uh, maybe the standard of our passion to reach the lost should be. I was on a flight home last night from Honolulu. I don't know what happened. I don't know if there was a Disney cruise that ended in Honolulu, but there were more kids on that plane 
I love kids. I do. If you have kids, I love your kids for five minutes. I like them for another five minutes. After about 10 minutes, I'm like, please, Jesus, come back. I will pray for the rapture all day long around your children. I have Bose headphones, noise-canceling headphones. You say, why do you have them? Children. There were more kids on that plane. You know, if you fly Southwest, you know you have like the A group, and then you have family boarding, and then you have the B and the C group, which is the cheap groups, people who won't pay for the early bird thing. I always pay for the early bird thing because I want to get on there before the kids. And, and, and when, I, when I travel, here's the key to Southwest. Be really big. <laughs> and have somebody sit next to the window. And so you don't, don't leave two seats there because anybody will take them. But have somebody sit next to the window. And then sit in your seat and cough a lot. Because you know it's open boarding. And so I just sit there and I cough a lot. And yesterday I went to Foodland uh, in, um, uh, in Hawaii, in Oahu. And I took poke with me. And I took really stinky poke with me. And, and I just had that in my bag. And so people came by and they're looking at me. And I'm like, <laughs> and I'm big. And I turn my shoulder to them. And I kind of looked, you know, like. And the kids are like, Mom, it's Mr. Incredible. And she's like, it's Mr. Evil Run. And. And the lady sitting next to me goes, this is working. Because we had a full flight, one empty seat, one empty seat. It was mine. Oh, praise the Lord. God is good. Yeah, and the lady slept in the, next to me. She was asleep in the window. And here I am. And there's these kids crying. And I just mean to tell you, I was so irritated. When you can hear kids crying through Bose headphones... Am I the only one that gets irritated at that? They should, every one of those kids should be on a no-fly list. You said, Pastor, that was my kid. Well, drive. Well, we can't drive from Hawaii. Then don't go. Planes are supposed to be quiet. I'm ready to be a grandpa. So I'm teasing, but just trying to be funny. But I got under conviction halfway through that flight. And this is what the Lord said to me. You giant baby. Here you are whining about kids making noise on a plane as you have your $300 headphones that somebody bought you and you're listening to music that your wife sent you or a book that somebody else wrote. And, and you have not, this, is, this, is a, this might not be how God talks to you. He might be nice to you. He's really seldom nice to me. And he says, and you have yet to pray for the lost souls on this plane one time. Not one time. Not, not a I'd been on that flight two hours. I was more worried about them picking up my trash, which is a big deal to me. I was more worried about that than I was the eternal condition of the people on the plane. You say, oh, Pastor, you, you wouldn't know all of them. You, you can't hold yourself accountable. Well, according to Romans chapter 10, verse number 1, I doubt that Paul knew every single uh, descendant of Abraham, and yet his heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel was that they might be saved. When was the last time you just prayed for everybody that worked in your shop? Parents, when was the last time you prayed for your kids to come to Christ? Not to be quiet. CEO, when was the last time you prayed for the people that work for you in your company to be saved? 
junior sailor, when was the last time you prayed for your CO and your CMC to be saved and everybody in between? Maintenance guy, when was the last time you prayed for every person at every desk that you serve on a weekly basis to come to Christ? And you just went by, you touched that desk and prayed, Lord, whoever sits at this desk, I pray that they would be saved. I don't know them, or maybe I do know them. I pray that I'd have opportunity to share the gospel with them. See, that's evangelistic praying. If you work lawn care, when's the last time you, you, you went up and down and mowed a lawn or pulled weeds or cleaned bushes and, and you just prayed, uh, God, help the people that live in this house to come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Lord, I don't need to see it. I don't need to be a part of it. I'd love to if you'd let me. But, but Lord, just, I'm just praying that they would be saved. When's the last time you, you got a ticket on the side of the road and a, and a young officer came up to you and he wrote you a ticket and you began to pray, God, I pray that this dude will be saved or this female officer will be saved. I mean, when was the last time? See, that's supposed to be, I would submit to you, the, the normative condition of the believer's life. Mom, when was the last time that you took your kids to the park and there were other children there and other moms there and you, you just began to pray, God, would you save these families? And, and Lord, I'd love an opportunity, but even if I, don't get an op- if I don't get an opportunity, I pray that your gospel will enliven their soul and they would come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. When was the last time you prayed for the people of the United States of America to be saved? God, our country is going to, going to hell and we, we, we've seen a degradation in our culture over the last 50 years that is unprecedented in human history. God, I just pray that, that your word would penetrate the hearts and the lives of the people in our country and that people would come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Daycare worker, when was the last time that you held a child in your hand and you just wept because you know that if that child doesn't get saved, they'll spend eternity in hell. And you began to pray, God, let this child come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Ladies that work in the nursery at Canyon Ridge, when was the last time in children's ministry or youth ministry that you're ministering to a child and your, your heart is just driven with motivation to see people come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and all you can do is pray and ask God to work in their heart and work in their life. I think we could go on. Could we not? Just to give example after example of opportunities that we have. We might not be able to witness. We might not be able to preach. We might not be able to start a church. But could we not pray? Could we not pray that God would draw people? That we would see God do a work in folks' lives? I mean, I mean, wouldn't that be a wonderful thing? That if we would pray for the prayer of salvation for those who are lost... God, I'm getting ready to talk to a sales rep on the other side of the country. And Lord, I pray that that John Doe on the other end of the line would get saved. Lord, I'm I'm emailing my HR rep and she doesn't know you. I know that she doesn't or I don't know if she does. Lord, I just pray that she would be saved. I would submit to you that every single day there are hundreds if not thousands of opportunities that God puts in front of us for us to pray evangelistically for a lost and dying world. 
And I'll be the first to say I find it the hardest spiritual discipline. That's why we need messages like this. That's why we need to be reminded that people that we love are lost and undone without Christ. Finally, we see in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse number 1, a little book right before the pastoral epistles of 1 Timothy. Paul is writing the church at Thessalonica and he is encouraging them to pray for him. And he says, finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of God may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you. The prayer of the church for boldness. Church, bring the verse back up, would you? Church, pray for Paul and this is, this is Paul. Church, pray for me and my team that as we share the gospel, the word free course means just move forward without any roadblocks, if you will, without any, any attacks, that it would just, it would move freely, that there, we would use this term, that the word of God would have liberty. Those of you in the, that were in the military, you understand the idea of liberty. You could have, you could have like um, restricted liberty or you could have like full liberty and somebody's in the Navy is going to email me all your liberties. Please don't do that. Get the concept. I get it. I get it. When I was in the Navy, it was like this. Um, if you're a guest here, I was never in the Navy, let me tell you. I love the Navy, but I was a man, so I would have joined the Marine Corps. Just, just, just saying. We believe in male leadership at Canyon Ridge. <laughs> Sorry, I'm, te- I'm totally, totally, totally teasing. Totally teasing. Um, I'm thankful for every man that we had get Marines where they need to go. Um, <sighs> But the concept of liberty, if you're in the Navy, please don't leave our church over my stupidity. (laughs) Uh, The concept of, of liberty is that it will go wherever it wants to go. It will do whatever it wants to do. It just has liberty. Have free course. And pray that the word of the Lord may have free course that it would just go everywhere. In other words, pray that we would be bold and pray that the way would be made smooth or straight. That ought to be our prayer. See, before you go witness to somebody, you should call people and say, hey, would you pray for me that the word of God would have free course or there would be liberty or it would be received well. You don't have to use Bible terms. Just I'm trying to share a concept with you. That, that, that the word of God would have free course. That, that there would be liberty. I, I, I'm praying right now because I'm going to talk to a co-worker at lunch about the gospel. I simply say, Pastor, what happens if they don't accept the gospel? Hey, your, your job is not to force people to accept the gospel. Your job is to share the gospel. I just talk to people on a regular basis and they, I mean, by regular, I mean weekly that don't accept the gospel, but I want to live my life telling them about the hope that is in Jesus Christ and Christ alone. And I want to, I want to give my life telling people about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? Because Jesus changes everything. 
He changes everything about your destiny. He changes your eternal destiny, I should say. He changes everything about your marriage. He changes everything about your life, everything about your future, everything about your peace, everything about your emotions, everything about your emotional health. Jesus changes everything. And I wanna introduce people to the God who loved them so much that he sent his son to die on a cross for their sin and help them to understand if they reject him, he will one day judge them. He will one day judge them. Warren Wearsby, a famed commentator who's now with the Lord, used to tell the story back in the 1800s, there was a little boy in a wagon sitting outside of a store as his dad went in the store to get some supplies and he didn't put the brake on correctly or it slipped and, and the brake slipped and the wagon, the horses took off and the wagon was careening through town and had the fear of throwing the boy out of the wagon as one might imagine if you can put yourself in that scenario and the people in town were watching. Well, there was a, a teenage boy about 15 years old who had the, the proper angle to do something about it and he ran and he jumped in the wagon and he reined in the horses and he saved the little boy's life. Many years later, in that same western region of America, a little boy was a lawless man. He was an evil man, and he murdered people and got arrested, and he stood before a judge. He was sentenced, or, or he, was, he was accused of murder. He was found guilty of murder, and he stood before the judge at sentencing, and he realized the judge was that young man who saved his life, and the murderer asked the judge, who had previously saved his life, to please show mercy on me because we used to have a relationship, and you showed me grace once before. Will you show me grace again? And the judge said these words. That was a time of grace. This is a time of judgment. I cannot show you grace when you stand before me as judge. And brothers and sisters and people at Canyon Ridge who don't know Christ, let me tell you, when you stand before Jesus as your judge, no grace will be shown. You will stand before him as judge. That's why we plead with you to accept him as your savior today. Come to Jesus today. Please come to Jesus today. You don't know that you have another opportunity. Come to Christ. Well, there's three action items I want you to take home this week. Number one, pray for opportunities and courage to share the gospel. Pray for opportunities and courage to share the gospel. Pray for lost people. Number two, pray for lost people specifically that you know in our nation generally to be saved. Pray for the lost people that you know specifically. You don't even have to know their name, but you can know, Lord, I, I pray for that cashier at the grocery store I go to. I pray that she'll be saved. I pray that he'll be saved. I pray you be with my mechanics, my mechanic that they'll be saved. Pray for lost people specifically in our nation generally to be saved. And number three, pray that Canyon Ridge would be bold in sharing the gospel and faithful to give them so that others can go. But pray that Canyon Ridge would be bold in sharing the gospel. They will not be ashamed of it. Paul said in Romans chapter one, verse number 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. There is the power of God and salvation to the Jew first and also to the Greek. I'm not ashamed, I'm not ashamed, I'm not ashamed. It's the greatest truth that's ever been told. Christian, when's the last time you prayed that somebody would be saved? When's the last time you shared the gospel? 
And I don't mean give somebody a flyer or invite somebody to a website. Those things are good, but when's the last time you literally sat down or stood and shared the gospel with somebody? And I don't mean just give information. When's the last time you passionately and clearly shared the hope of eternal life that rests in Jesus Christ alone? I would argue that for most folks, it's been way too long. Well, I'll bring him to church and let so-and-so witness to him. That's not your calling. That's not your calling. Well, I don't know exactly what to say. Tell him your story. And then commit today to be at a Mary, or a, an evangelism weekend or to learn how to share the gospel. If you've been saved about six months, you should know how to share the gospel. I might mess up. I guarantee you, you'll mess up. That's why the Bible says God has to draw them. Their salvation is not depending on your perfection. Their salvation is depending on hearing the gospel and God drawing them. There's a world that needs Jesus. He changes everything. Are you pursuing the lost? Are you pursuing them through prayer? Are you pursuing them through sharing? Before we really get into missions giving, is seeing the lost save the passion of your life? Father, bless our time in the Word. Thank you for listening. Find more messages every week at CanyonRidgeBaptist.com. If you're in the San Diego area, join us for a service. We meet at 8.30 a.m., 10.30 a.m., and 5 p.m.